Well, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for being here today. I know we have a lot of folks that are traveling. Some are even home today, but they may be watching us online. We're glad that you're able to participate, whether being present or watching us uh, through the internet. But it is a good day to be here. This is Christmas Day. On the Lord's Day, we don't get to celebrate Christmas Day on the Lord's Day too often. We didn't want to miss this opportunity to gather together and to worship. Uh, but it's, hasn't it been an incredible Christmas season? Our Advent celebration has been wonderful. Um, you know, we had, this room was filled up earlier this week with the, the Gettys and the Irish Christmas. Did you get a chance to come to that? If you missed it, you really missed it. Uh, we're not sure they'll be able to come back next year. We hope to get them back again. It's such a, a wonderful time uh, to gather uh, and to sing those carols together. Also, last night we had the room filled up again with, with our candlelight uh, observance, and it's been a great tradition that we and many other churches have just to gather together and to mark the Christmas season. And then to be here today, it's just, it's just good. Uh, but also today was a special day. I acknowledge this the last couple of times we've gathered that uh, it's sort of a bittersweet moment because today is Pastor Danny's last day to lead us as pastor of worship. He's not leaving us. Uh, he is shifting full-time to executive pastor. He's been doing sort of straddling two horses, leading worship and being the executive pastor. He's going to take that on 100%. Uh, so today at the conclusion of our service, he's going to sing one last time uh, in that capacity. You'll probably see him up here in the future leading a little bit, but uh, pray for him as we close out the service. Also, remember that David Burt, our new pastor of worship, is going to be here two weeks from today, and we're excited for him. But also today's probably a bittersweet uh, uh, day for him because today is his last day with his current church. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm going to encourage you, if we can, let's just can we just pause and pray right now and pray for Danny, pray for for David, and we're excited about the future, aren't we, brother? About what God has in store. So let's just pray and thank the Lord, Lord. We are excited. It is a bittersweet moment. Um, it is for me because, Lord, every Sunday I look forward to being in this place, to, uh, to participating in worship, but also to see my friend lead. Um, and he has done such an incredible job in leading this church on a long journey of, of, of evolving in our worship. And I am so grateful for where we are as a congregation now as we embrace um, multi-generational worship uh, so that people of, of every age gather together and from their heart are able to sing out and to praise you and to sing praises to you. And as Danny makes this, this shift in his ministry focus, um, I'm grateful that he continues as a pastor in the life of our church, that he's going nowhere, um, but that you're allowing him to use the gifts that you've given him to help uh, lead this church and guide this church to, a, to an even greater future. And Lord, also, we're grateful that you're sending David Burt to, to be a part of our congregation. We know that he's excited and is looking forward to being with us. But Lord, as he's winding down his ministry in Bushnell, we pray that it'll be a very special day for him, that he'll leave that, he and Jessica will leave that ministry context uh, with, with many wonderful ministries, but also looking forward to the future of, what, uh, of how you're going to uh, allow him to lead us as we worship together and being the church you've called us to be, a church that lifts high your name. And so, Lord, we are grateful for them and looking forward to what the future holds in the life of our congregation, knowing that you've been in the middle of it all. And we pray, that, pray this and ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're in Matthew chapter 2 today, but also in Micah 5. So we're going to start in, in Matthew 2. We'll go to Micah 5, and we'll be back uh, in Matthew 2 at the end of our time together. Have you had a good morning already? Let me ask you, how many of you have already started opening up Christmas gifts? Anybody got up? You got up really early. Okay, good for you. Good for you. Thank the Lord. We have finally reached the point where uh, we're past where our kids would wake us up on Christmas morning, and now we wake them up, all right? And so we're going to, I mean, on our family, we're going to open gifts a little bit later. But for those of you who've opened up your gifts already, did you get what you wanted? Yes? Did you get what you were expecting to get? Good for you. All right. We got one yes vote. All right. I heard a story about a teacher who, as she was wrapping up the end of her, her first semester with her, her kids, uh, elementary school teacher, it was the last day, and the kids often bring gifts to the teacher. And one by one, the kids were bringing gifts to her, and it was pretty typical. She almost knew the type of gift that the kid was going to, to bring based on the parent's profession. Uh, the, the, the daughter of the florist, she knew that the daughter was going to show up with a bouquet of, of flowers, and sure enough, she did. The candy store owner, uh, when, when the, 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 his son showed up, of course, he had a big box of candy. Uh, but then it, it was uh, a little unusual when the, the owner of the, the, the local beverage store showed up, with his son showed up, and he had this big box. And uh, she began to examine the box, and she noticed that it was leaking a little bit. And she, you know, she tasted it. She goes, is this wine? He said, no, no, no. He tasted it again. Is it champagne? No. He goes, it's a puppy. Um, that was a little unexpected, wasn't it, right? As we've been journeying through this Advent season, I just had to tell that story. As we've been journeying through this Advent season, We've been taking a, an unexpected approach to what this Christmas season is about. As you know, the, the last three years, our pastors have endeavored to uh, present in, in devotional form a journey for you as we celebrate Christmas. And so these four, last four weeks, like we have done the, the previous three, two years, we've written this um, devotion book and we've themed it along a certain topic. And last year, when... We were processing coming out of this, uh, out of last year's Christmas. I began to think about what we would talk about in 2022. And I don't know if it was an article or a podcast that I heard. I, I really don't know where it came from, but the idea that Christmas is a declaration of war, it just sort of struck a chord in my heart and I let it simmer. And our pastors began to meet earlier this, this year as we began to think about and pray through and prepare to put this devotion together and to put this, the messages together. And this collaborative uh, uh, theme over the idea that Christmas is more than celebrating the birth of an innocent child. It's, it's more than just a tradition, but that it's a, it's a response a response to something that happened a long time ago in the Garden of, of Eden when God had placed Adam and Eve in the garden and given them a perfect place to live, to, to know God, to worship God, to be in His presence, giving, him a very, giving them a very clear, simple rule, obey me. And the way that you obey me is you can eat of any tree of the garden except for one tree. You cannot eat of the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of that tree, in the moment that you eat of that tree, in that day, you will die. Of course, you know the, the broader story is that 
a serpent came to them. It was Satan. A serpent came to them, began to talk with them, and began to twist God's words and tempted them, and they ultimately succumbed to the temptation, and they disobeyed God, eating of the fruit of that tree. And in that moment, sin entered into the world, entered into them. They immediately died spiritually, but what we've now learned is that that was the beginning of a great cosmic war, that Satan had encroached into God's territory, and he had led mankind to sin, but it, it ultimately erupted in a great spiritual conflict between God and Satan. In Genesis 3.15, when God is in the middle of pronouncing judgments or curses, he pr pronounces a curse upon the serpent. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and your offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel." And we now know that that was the first of many, many prophecies foretelling of the coming of, of a Messiah, of a rescuer. But we now look at Genesis 3.15 as God's declaration of war. And he followed through with his declaration by sending a warrior. He sent a warrior king, and we now know him to be Jesus. And that's what we've been celebrating. It's been an unexpected approach, but I will tell you, as, as I've heard from many of you, it's been one of the most rewarding uh, uh, themes related to Christmas that we've ever done. And so Jesus, he came to save us from our sin. He came to win this cosmic war. He was born a great warrior king. And by the way, he won the war a long time ago. The war continues, but he won the war a long time ago, and one day, He's going to return, and when he does return, he will finally put Satan away for good. The war will be over, and the conflict will be done. Well, friend, I'm here to tell you that just as there was a declaration of war that, that pointed to the advent, the advent itself was a declaration of peace, that peace would come. And we're going to see this, at least in the context of a story that we refer to as the coming of the wise men. I want to invite you to stand with me, will you, as we typically do in honor of the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read uh, just the first few verses, verses 1 down to verse 6, and this will set the context of our message today. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessing on the word as it's been read and now as it is proclaimed, and that we would truly understand that though you have made a proclamation, a declaration that war was coming, and you followed through with that, that, that declaration, you, you fulfilled your promise by coming to die for us, that Lord, also you're making a declaration of peace, that ultimately peace will prevail. So speak to us, I pray, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. 
I know I'm not stretching it to say that peace and Christmas have always seemed to go hand in hand. We often talk about Christmas peace, and that's because the angels, if you'll recall, at the birth of Jesus, proclaimed glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now let me ask you a very simple question. Do you think that Jesus' coming has actually brought peace? Are we seeing peace realized? Historians calculate that there have been uh, only 292 years of peace since the year 3600 B.C. Let me say that again. For the last 4,000, 5,000 years, there have only been 292 years of peace. During that time, there have been over 14,000 wars, both big and small. And the estimates are that somewhere around 3.6 billion, that's billion with a beat, 3.6 billion people have died in those conflicts. You know, after Jesus was born, at the moment that the angels declared that with Jesus' arrival there's peace on earth, that there was really no discernible difference before and after Jesus' arrival. Now, someone may say, well, maybe peace on earth refers to our interpersonal relationships. Well, have you ever been shopping on on, on Black Friday, right? Trying to get your, 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 your deals for Christmas? A couple of years ago, or a few years ago, some woman in Southern California was running through Walmart as soon as the doors opened when they had those blockbuster deals on Black Friday, and she was spraying pepper spray at people just to get the deals. Not just one time, she had three different items she was trying to get to, so three different places throughout the store. So does that sound like peace on earth, goodwill toward men? So, So what was it? Were the angels wrong? Or... Did Jesus' birth actually bring peace? Or is it peace that we personally haven't experienced? Or perhaps maybe they were referring to a peace that hasn't been realized yet. I want you to think again about the, the, the wise men. You may have noticed that in the story that we've just read, those six verses, that there is no explicit mentioning of peace anywhere in that story. But actually, if you go a little bit deeper and, and look into the background, it's actually there. You see, when the wise men came inquiring about the, the, the child, the, the king who had been born, uh, the word began to spread to, to, to people in the community, including Herod himself, the king of the Jews, the actual king in that day. And he was getting a little concerned, so he begins to ask some of the other religious leaders of that day if they knew any th- information about that. And they respond back saying that, yeah, there's a prophecy uh, from the book of, of, of Micah that talks about how there is going to be a king that would be born in Bethlehem. And guess what? If you go to that prophecy in Micah chapter 5, you know what you'll find? You'll actually find that the prophecy mentioned in Matthew chapter 2, but also you will find a declaration of peace. So let's do that. Let's jump over to Micah chapter 5. And I want us to read the prophecy that was mentioned in verse 6 of Matthew 2. I want you to read read with me the broader context of this prophecy. In fact, we're just going to camp out there for just a few moments. So Micah chapter 5, verse 1, goes like this. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. That's not very Christmassy, is it, right? But he continues, verse 2. And here's the one you are, you're already familiar with. But you, O Bethlehem Epaphrathah, 
who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor is given birth, and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And here it is. And he shall be their peace. Okay, now remember who Micah is. Micah is a prophet of Judah, the nation of Judah. And he lived 700 years before Jesus came. And this particular prophecy that Micah had uttered is now in written form was given as a direct warning to the people of Judah who have been living in sin, living in rebellion, and Micah was warning them, look, judgment is coming. You've not been obedient to the Lord, and you're going to pay the consequences to that. Judgment is coming, and the judgment would come in the form of war. An enemy would come against them. An enemy would attack them. Their cities would be uh, laid besieged. Loved ones would die, and they would experience great grief. All of it traced back to their rebellion and sin. All of it because they were sinful people. And yet, God, because He is a God of grace, offers and will offer them opportunities for forgiveness, offering them the possibility of peace. And that's really what the rest of Micah chapter 5 is about. So what does all of this have to do with Christmas, you may be asking? Well, it has everything to do with Christmas. Because that's what Jesus' coming was all about. He was about coming and engaging into a war that would ultimately lead to peace. Because again, before Jesus came, mankind, that's us, we were afflicted with sin, we faced God's judgment, and it threw us in this epic cosmic war that continues to unfold to this day, and the world that we now exist is wrapped up in it with no hope of peace. But fortunately... God intervened on our behalf. He didn't have to, but by His grace, He chose to do so. God intervened, and He sent His Son into the world. And by doing so, through His Son, He offered us the forgiveness of sin, and with it, the possibility of peace. Peace with God, of course. But even beyond that, ultimately, there would be peace in the world. And it was for this possibility of peace that Micah calls God's people to repent. And that's what Micah 5 is really about. He wants them to avoid judgment. He wants them to be blessed by God. If they would just abandon their sinfulness, if they would let go of their idolatry, if they would just repent and turn back to Him, if they would embrace God's ways, the promise of God's peace would come. Now, the the phrase that anchors this entire text is verse 5, simply saying that because of the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah who will be born in Bethlehem, that he shall be their peace. This one to be born in Bethlehem, this ruler, this warrior king, would be their peace. Now, how do you know when war is finally over? Well, there is a declaration of, of peace. It's the, the signaling of the ending of the conflict. And so on this Christmas day, as we're marking the work of God in this world, the birth of God, but also the work He would do in this world, I'd like to offer you a a, a message of peace, the, the peace of Christmas. You see, Micah's prophecy not only warned them of a coming war, but it, it looked beyond that coming war. It looked beyond the, the, the consequences of their sin, and it looked beyond to a better future. 
It looks 700 years into the future, looking ahead to the coming of the Messiah, to a time when the gift of peace would be given to the world. But it also looks even beyond that. It looks to our future that lies out there in the end of days one day. And he spoke these words about the Messiah who was to come, the very words that, that was shared uh, to Herod after the wise men had arrived. It is Micah's prophecy. Again, this very one mentioned to Herod uh, to explain what the, the wise men were looking for. It is speaking to the future coming of King Jesus, this one who would rule over Israel, who would be its king, and that he would bring peace. And so how do we know that peace is coming? Well, two things I want to share with you based on what we read here in Micah. And the first is this. The reason why we know that peace is going to come, because look, we look around this world, we see what's happening in our own country, we see what's happening between Russia and Ukraine, we see the wars that keep going on, it seems, endlessly. How do we know that peace will come? Well, one reason we know is because Jesus came the first time. The first reason why I would tell you why we know and we can trust that peace will come is that God prophesied that Jesus would come. And if God prophesied that Jesus would come and he followed through with it, then when he also promises us peace, we can have hope that he will follow through with that as well. Now, Jesus didn't arrive in the, in the most typical manner, for a king at least. He wasn't born in the capital city. He wasn't born in Jerusalem where a king would normally be born. Instead, we're told that his birth happened in a quaint little town. Uh, you know the birthplace of Jesus. We, we sing about it. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. That's right. It's Luke's gospel that records that Jesus actually was born in Bethlehem, but it was Micah's prophecy 700 years before that proclaimed that it was going to happen. Verse 2, look at it. Micah 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. You know, this is the most specific and one of the most important prophecies that you'll find about the coming of Jesus in all the Old Testament in regards to the advent of the Messiah, because it's very specific. Jesus didn't come from a, a mighty place. He wasn't born in a castle somewhere. He came from an ordinary place. As it says here, Bethlehem, who was too little to be among the clans of Judah. And yet it was from this small little town that will come the most significant person ever, the one who would be the ruler over Israel. Now here's the thing, and we all know this to be true, that when Jesus came, he didn't become the ruler of Israel. You've read the stories of the Gospels. You've seen the Gospel accounts. Nowhere in, the, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John do we see Jesus actually presiding and ruling. And what we see here was with Micah making this prediction, this prophecy in Micah 5 verse 2, is that Micah is compressing all of Jesus' life and ministry, not just the ministry he performed when, and, and the life he lived when he was here the first time, but he's looking at the broader scope of his life and the fact that one day Jesus is coming back. And so Mike is sort of skipping over a whole lot of things about his life and ministry. He skips over and look, looks beyond to the future, the future that is yet to occur. And I'm talking again about his second advent, his second coming. And before we jump to that, I don't want to skip over the significance of his first coming. Something that Micah himself skips over, uh, what, what he didn't know much about because the Lord didn't reveal it to him, wasn't calling him to prophesy about it. But here's what we know about Jesus that he was born 
human, a human being. Now, he didn't reject his divinity, but his, his divinity and his humanity were, were all in the same person. We, we refer to him as the incarnate God, God in the flesh. And because he is God in the flesh, he could do what we could not do. He lived a perfect life. And when he became an adult, when the time was right, he died a, a sacrificial death for our sins. He was buried, and he came back to life three days later. And because he did these things, we can all have peace, the peace of God, if we believe this to be true about him, if we confess him as Lord and seek his forgiveness based on what he did. We can have the peace of God. So Jesus, he was born and he came to establish himself as a king, but the, the people of Israel, we know they rejected him, his own people. And so he left this earth. After he died, was buried, and came back to life, 40 days later, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. There he remains to this day. But the time is coming, however, when he's going to come back. He's going to return. And when he returns, he will then establish himself once and for all. But the fact that he did come, just as was prophesied, gives us hope that what was also prophesied, that he will be our peace we know that it will become true as well. Here's another reason why we can know that peace will come, and that is, I've already referred to this, his second advent, Jesus is coming again. Can I read verse 5 again from Micah, Micah chapter 5? In fact, I'm going to read all of verse 5 as well as verse 6. It says of this coming Messiah that he shall be their peace, when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at his entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Again, Micah has told us that there's some future king that is coming a king that will be born in Bethlehem, that he will be their peace, but he will also raise up spiritual leaders in Israel and will empower them to overcome those who oppress him. And what Micah was talking about was some future victory, a victory beyond the first time that Jesus was here on earth, but a time in which victory will come, a victory that will end in peace. Again, that's not a, 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 a victory that would occur in Micah's day. Judah, we know, never defeated Assyria. In fact, it was the other way around. Assyria defeated Judah. And so that peace that he was talking about, it's got to be at some future point, sometime. But in fact, Mike himself mentions someone by the name of Nimrod. If you're not familiar with who Nimrod is, Nimrod is mentioned in Genesis chapter 10. He was the founder of the first ancient kingdom of Babylon. He was a, a powerful leader, but a very arrogant leader. And Assyria and Nimrod, they, they represent all the world powers who had, who had oppressed Israel in the past or will in the future. And, and the lands of Assyria and Nimrod are where Israel will one day be regathered. That's the promise. And so the, the, this part of Micah's prophecy is looking way, way, way into the future, looking into our future, looking to a future that is yet to occur not to Jesus' first coming, but to his second coming. Not to a, a, a time that has already happened, but a time that will, is yet to come when Jesus returns. And it will be in the last days that nations will rise up against Israel. But we have this promise that King Jesus will give them the victory, and when the victory comes, peace will come with it. So what does that mean for you and me today? Well, for me, and hopefully for you, it means we don't have to fear the future. We know 
that God has our future secure. We don't have to worry about how things will turn out one day. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, you, we, together, we will have victory in Jesus in the end. And when victory comes, peace will come. But this peace, the peace of Christmas, it really doesn't belong to everyone. It only belongs to those who are with Jesus, who are on His side. Remember Jesus said, if you're not with me, you are against me. And so this peace is only for those who choose the winning side. And you may be wondering, well, how do I know if I'm with Jesus or I'm against Him? Well, I want us to go back for just a brief moment, back to Matthew's gospel. Go back to the story of the wise men. I want you to see how it sort of plays itself out. Matthew chapter 2, in verses 7 and 8, it says that Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Verse 8 says that he went, sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child from when you have found him. Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And we know the bigger story here, the broader context, that Herod really didn't want to worship Jesus. He didn't want to worship whoever this kid was that is now beginning to, they're beginning to associate a prophecy with him as being the king of Israel because Herod was king. And he didn't want some upstart challenging his, uh, his role, his place on the throne. So Herod actually feared him, feared him so much that he would issue an order that would cause every male child born within the last two years in and around Bethlehem to be slaughtered. In Herod's mind, he wanted to kill the upstart king before he ever had a start. You know, Jesus and his family fled to Egypt and that he avoided that. But he's so worried, here it is, that Jesus is going to take his place that he tried to eliminate him. He didn't worship Jesus. He tried to kill Jesus, to take him out. Now, the wise men's response was a little different. Verses 9 uh, and following tells us, it says, After listening to the king, the wise men went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them went until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Hope you see the contrast that I'm pointing, here, pointing out here. You have Herod that wanted to get rid of Jesus. And you had the wise men that bowed down and worshiped him. And so when it comes to experiencing Christmas and to experiencing the peace of Christmas and knowing whether or not you're on Jesus' side or you're against him on Satan's side, there are only two choices to make here. You either war against him, you either try to eliminate Jesus from your life, or you fall down and worship him. You either reject him or embrace him. We don't automatically receive God's peace, but we find peace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's available to all who will seek Him and find Him by trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we know that because of Christmas, because Jesus came into this world, we can then know the peace He brings. So my encouragement as we come to this concluding moment is to worship Jesus. This is our response to Christmas, to worship Him to recognize Him for who He is, that He is God and we are not. And that we surrender our all to Him, recognizing that we're sinners and unworthy of Him. And to seek His forgiveness by faith 
and turning to him in repentance. Friend, there cannot be a better day to turn to Jesus than Christmas Day. Amen? I'm going to have a word of prayer, and before we close out our service, Danny's going to come, and he's going to close us in a, in a song and some closing thoughts. But I'm going to challenge you, if you're here this morning and you would like to know the peace of Christ, I'm going to be standing over at the cross this morning. And if you would like to know more about how you can personally trust Him, after we've closed out our service, we, I'd encourage you to come speak with me personally. I would like to just talk with you. You come asking about how you can receive Christ. It'll be my honor, my privilege to lead you to do that today. Let's pray together. Lord, how good you are. You are a good and faithful God. You're a God who promises, but you're also a God who follows through with that promise. And Lord, we embrace this promise of peace that you came to save us and that in your coming, you would usher in peace. Peace between us and you through the forgiveness of our sins that you made possible upon the cross, but also, Lord, knowing that ultimately one day this world would experience peace when you return and set everything right. So, Lord, I pray if there be one person here that does not know you, that today on this Christmas day, that this day would be a day of rejoicing as they turn their, their lives over to you, yielding to you as their King, as their Lord. So let it be, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.